Victoria here with a content warning for today's episode. As Cheryl and I are talking about sex and sacred sexuality, there are some non-graphic mentions of sexual assault. So just something to keep in mind for yourself and in case there are others around you listening. Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram. Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. Cheryl, you have recently had some really beautiful blog posts talking about sexuality leading up to a new round of your sacred sexuality course. And, you know, sacred sexuality is such a big topic and there are so many directions we could go with this topic. But I think your most recent blog post where you talked about reclaiming our voices is particularly resonant with me right now and Mm -hmm. I'm sure with a lot of people. So you and I decided we're going to start there in today's episode. And so I was wondering if you could read a little bit of that blog post, um, which Oh, now I don't have the title right in front of me. What What's the name of the post again? Um, this is one of the best ways to get sexually aroused. If you could read that section and start us off, I think that would be great. Mm. Yes. Our bodies are sacred, sovereign lands, and yet they have been colonized in a variety of ways. A significant part of reclaiming our bodies and our sexuality is reclaiming our sovereignty, which means reclaiming our voice, the voice that knows when we want to be touched and don't want to be touched, the voice that knows and trusts our pace and rhythm, the voice that can say no and be respected in our no. For when we lose our capacity to say no, there is no true yes. One is dependent on the other. Your voice is your gateway to desire because using your voice makes you feel safe 
and true desire hinges on safety. When we feel safe, we open, we naturally move toward, we feel courageous and uninhibited, we reclaim our intrinsic desire. That sentence, when we lose our capacity to say no, there is no true yes. One is dependent on the other, Mm. is so powerful. I feel like there's so much shame around both the yes and the no Mm. for so many people. Maybe for the same person at different times in their life, that person might feel ashamed of having a higher sex drive or ashamed of feeling like they have a lower sex drive or might be ashamed of how much they want to say yes or ashamed of how much they want to say no. Mm. Ashamed of not feeling in touch with their sexuality or ashamed of feeling like they're too in touch with it. So it's just really powerful to remember that you can't have a true yes without the agency of no. And as you have talked about in so many of your blog posts and throughout the Sacred Sexuality course, which I took a few years ago, for so many people, their no was not respected in the past or maybe in the present, but certainly like so many people have violations um, in their past, if not outright assault and abuse. So the power in actually getting in touch with your no is just, it's like, oh, yeah, that should be obvious. And for some reason, it's not because I feel like the message we often get is, well, you should just, you should just be in touch with your yes. Mm. It's such a mixed message. You should be in touch with your yes in the right conditions with the right right person and if we're going into a religious context only when you're married. Right. So it's no, 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 no. And then suddenly over the course of a wedding ceremony, it's supposed to be all yes. Right. And the truth is there is always going to be both. There are going to be times of no and there are going to be times of yes and they hinge on each other they are they are in relationship to each other and yes how many times a no was not respected either an explicit verbal no that was overridden steamrolled um on on a spectrum of touch to rape right so there's a whole spectrum and and i don't say that lightly and i i want to i just want to contextualize this whole conversation as being incredibly vulnerable um and if at any point you listening feel overwhelmed or triggered or like you're dissociating to pause 
and listen to that no. That's that's also a no, mm. right? Because we are we are in trauma territory for a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of men, but most of our audience is women, and this course is specifically for women. And tragically, a woman's no around her body has been ignored at best, violated at worst. And so I can feel in my body, even as I was listening to you, Victoria, um, sort of mirroring back that little section of the blog and saying something like, you know, most women have a history of their no being ignored. Um, I could, I feel it in my body. Um, I, I, my own backlog of memories from early life to teenage years to twenties. I can, I can feel some of those rising up in me. And so I want to just state up front, this is not a, this is not one of our lighter episodes. No. Let's say that. This is, oh, it's so deep. And as you and I were talking about before, through our, our pre-talk and our texting, it really goes beyond sexuality, right? What it is to have sovereignty over your body, over your mind, your agency, um, it's vast. This is a vast, deep, painful conversation. The, the territory that we are entering into is not, not easy, but so vitally important that we reclaim our no and our yes. And It's like an unshackling. It's it's releasing layers and layers of shame that are bound up in both of those words. Of course, the words just being an outer expression of a bodily knowing. This is a yes and this is a no. I'm even thinking back in non-sexual terms, how difficult it is for parents when their toddler first starts saying no. Mm. What a hard word that seems to be for a lot of people to honor and respect Mm. a no. How much more praise a child gets for being agreeable, for saying yes, for going along with, for being the good girl that we've talked about a lot and that a lot of highly sensitive people end up morphing into the good girl or the good boy or the good child because we are picking up on those cues very, very early. And sometimes they're not cues, they're overt expressions of disapproval from a parent. When a ch- What is a no? It's an assertion of will. It's an yeah. assertion of this is who I am. I don't want to put on my shoes right now. This is who I am. I'm not ready to go to that birthday party. 
Right. And, and it takes a lot of skill as a parent to work with that, to honor the no, especially in situations where the final answer can't really be no. But how do you honor the self, the selfhood, the agency? And so then it gets into, and I think there's been a lot more awareness and consciousness about this around explicit consent around touch with children. Um, can I hug you instead of the expectation that a child is supposed to hug every family member every time they see? And so it just starts so early on the expectations around touch and affection in our bodies and then the, the sovereignty of what a child is trying to express when they say no. Yeah. And I remember hearing someone, I can't remember who, say that we often get angry at people for doing things that we feel like we don't have permission to do. Mm. I, I interviewed Shannon Evans for Perennials and she was talking about like seeing her husband take a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how angry that would make her. Mm-hmm. And she realized it was because she didn't feel like she had permission to take a nap. Like she had to take care of the kids and everything in the home. And and he sounds like he's a great husband and dad, but he felt like he could take a nap and she didn't feel like she yes. could. And yes. I feel like that happens around saying no. Yes. And it's a really interesting example about the nap. And I'm going to tie it back into sexuality and other areas where the patriarchal system trickles down into all of us. And men, by virtue of being male, seem to possess a greater sense of their rights. Um, and they, they, especially around parenting situations, and, and there, there's, you know, it tends to fall on the woman, and she's the default caretaker. And so the husband who just claims that nap where um, the, the wife, the mother, wouldn't, it extends into how we approach each other sexually. Now, I'm speaking, yeah. of course, in broad generalizations. This is not every man and every woman. Um, you know, I am talking more about heterosexual couples right now. But in general there seems to be this implicit expectation that, first of all, there's an expectation and a belief that men always have the higher sex drive, and that's not true. Um, I think in general they do, and it's biology, and it has to do with testosterone, um, but that's not always true. And so in a situation where that's not true, like you said, when you have more of a yes, a higher sex drive, that comes with its own shame. But in a typical situation, the ones that I hear more about where the man has the higher sex drive, then there's this implicit sense of obligation or expectation that it's the yeah. woman's job to meet that need. Right. And that her sexuality exists for the man, by the man, she her sexuality is ignited, is supposed to be ignited by her partner, right? Again, going back to a lot of 
religious um, ideology and messaging, the message is you don't have sexuality, really. You shouldn't. You put a lid on all that until you get married. You're supposed to be pure. You're supposed to be the Madonna. And then you're supposed to be, you know, sexually uninhibited, alive, free. And it's all in relationship to your male partner. Right? Your sexuality does not exist on its own, and it's a giant lie. It's a huge lie that causes a lot of pain and shame and confusion. Where the truth is, and this is where we get back to the sovereignty, right? that our bodies and our sexuality have been colonized to serve men. And when we start to realize that and we start to unpack those layers of messages and shame and experiences, you know, from assault to abuse to um, taunting to cajoling to um, having put ourselves in situations that we didn't really want to be in, but we were tr- but we were motivated by that sense of proving something or getting validation, and we make room for all of those stories and start to tell them and start to heal them. Then we reconnect with our intrinsic desire, with our voice, with the true place of yes and no inside of each and every one of our bodies. Our bodies know. Our bodies know. They know that, you know, if your partner's approaching and you don't want to be touched right then and there's that sense of cringing or flinching or bracing, well, that's information. In relationship anxiety world, there's a usually a false interpretation that says, oh, I'm bracing. That means I don't really love my partner. No, that's not what it means if you're in a healthy, loving relationship. It means something inside of you is saying no, and it's time to pause. Even in that moment, even to be able to express in that moment to your partner, I know you're coming for affection. Something inside of me is saying, no, can we, can we pause? And if your partner says, oh, sure, sometimes that's all it takes to say, oh, actually, I am ready for a hug, right? That there's – Yeah. Right. Paradox. <laughs> we, yes. The paradox of there it is. There's no true yes unless you know that your no is going to be respected and heard. Yeah. The pressure sometimes can just close you down so quickly. And it's 4,000 years of pressure. Yeah. (laughs) It's not anybody's fault. It's not your male partner's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's it's the legacy that we are all, all living with that we are trying to dig ourselves out of of these expectations and the pressure, right? It's, it's, it's a weight. But 
good news is retrieving your voice is doable. Yeah. It's actually very doable to retrieve your voice and to retrieve your no and to start to slow it down and listen and trust your body and to start to speak. And the even better news is that when you do that, you really do reclaim your intrinsic desire. It's one of the most common statements I hear, and I'll be doing a webinar next week, and I'll share more about it then. But one of the most common statements I hear from women is, I have no desire. And this is usually people in long-term relationships, marriages, sometimes young kid, often young kids. I have no desire. I'd be fine if we never had sex ever again. But that's not actually true. And what women discover is that there is a fountain, there is a river, there is plenty of desire, of eros, of erotic energy. And it's those words, I like the word eros because it's one that's used a lot in, in Jungian terms. Erotic is a little bit more charged because I think it's connected to pornography, um, some somewhat more these days. But the sense of eros is is aliveness. It's your yeah. vitality. It's your zest for life. It's your sensuality. It's not just sexual energy. It's it's these channels that move up and down inside of us that are ours, that are powerful. They're potent. They're alive. And they all live bound up in in the shame. And it is just such a slow process. I think our anxious brain tends to think, if I'm saying no now, does that mean no forever? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm closed now, will I be closed forever? Or mm. I don't know. It just gets stuck in like very black and white. It's either exactly what my partner wants or nothing. Or you know what I mean? Like I just think it often goes to this very black and white, I want this to be fixed now. Mm-hmm. place. And like you said, when we're carrying thousands of years of mm-hmm. <laughs> baggage, yes. essentially around this, it's just not, I don't know. And it's such a dynamic energy. Like it's I, I, it just, to me, having patience and, and trusting that slowly over time, like you said, we can we can get into that connection and that right relationship. Um, it just it takes patience, I think, and and being slow and tender and gentle with all of the parts. You and I were talking the other day about making room for all the parts that emerge yes. around sex and sexuality, including the shame. Like making room with gentleness for the shame, not thinking oh, I'm just going to eradicate this shame, like now. Yes. <laughs> and then yes. I can be this sex goddess or like whatever you have in your mind. Yes. But actually making room for the shame and 
sharing what you want to share with your partner around it. Mm-hmm. And both partners. Yeah. Like, to me, sacred sexuality is both partners meeting each other in that place of vulnerability because men carry just as much shame as women do. Um, none of us come out on top, really, no pun intended, in this <laughs> <laughs> um, in this scenario, right? We all suffer. And so to be able to meet each other and say, I carry shame too, and I worry about being inadequate, and I worry about you're not going to like this, or I'm not going to be a good enough lover for you, that either partner saying that um, just opens up worlds, opens up. that To me, that's the true intimacy, right? That's the sacred sexuality is it hinges on connection. It hinges on vulnerability. It hinges on bringing all the parts and very much including the shame into the bedroom into whatever space you're meeting each other, into the kitchen when you meet for a hug or a kiss, that it might show up at any moment. And I want to speak to what you were saying to Victoria about the black and white and going slowly and the fears. If I say no, doesn't mean I'm saying no forever. And also from the partner's perspective, if, if my partner's saying no, mm. does that mean she's going to say no forever? And that fear that comes up. Mm. And I want to allay that fear and say that that has not been what I've seen. That has not been my own experience. Um, that there is a period of time, I think it's important in most relationships where the no is centered mm-hmm. and to be expected. Um and there's an email later in the sacred sexuality course that is is something about permission to say no and how often i hear from women who say sometimes i need to start every time we lie down together i need to say is it okay if we don't yeah have sex right can the no be right up front yeah and to have your partner say of course Right? Like, let's just hold each other. Maybe we just look at each other. How intimate is that? Maybe we just kiss each other. That because the no has been so violated and overridden, it often needs to be front and center, again, in order to get to the true yes. And so... There was a comment on my recent post from a mother saying, I'm in a hard place sexually because I'm breastfeeding an infant around the clock and have a very cuddly toddler climbing on me all day and night. We co-sleep. So by the time I have alone time with my husband, I'm completely touched out. I have an incredibly hard time turning off mom mode and relaxing into wife mode but I make an effort for my marriage. And she says, is this something the course could address? And I say, you're not alone. There are many ways to nurture your marriage during this time other than sex. If you're wanting to reconnect to your sexuality, the course will help you. 
but it's the very rare mother that truly wants to be sexual with a newborn and a toddler in the midst, sexual with their husband. So this expectation, again, like we get, I don't know, six weeks after giving birth, and then there's just this kind of like tapping the table sense of when you're going to have sex again. It's ludicrous. Right. Having given birth twice, it's ludicrous that there should be any expectation of anything entering your <laughs> body where a baby just came out <laughs> and you were torn open. Does that mean that you're going to ignore your husband? No, because that's not what you probably want either. But to be checking in all the time, and this is again what I mean about reclaiming voice and sovereignty, who am I doing this for? Mm. Because it's deeply ingrained that we have an obligation to meet the male need for sex, as if that's the only way we can connect with our husbands. And as you often point out, that sex means one thing. Mm-hmm. Like that. It means that intercourse. That's it all means, it means. Yeah. And then like for myself, I don't have children, but I've had issues with ongoing vaginal infections and pain. Mm. And yes, I know other women deal with things like that and we'll just yes. push through the pain. Like – I've done that um, because I physically couldn't say the word no. Right. Like physically could not say the word no. Yes. And it took years to get to a point of enough safety where I could reclaim no. Mm. And yes. I actually have a poem about, about this that I wrote a few years ago I wonder if this would be a good place to share it please so it's called when I say no Hmm. like second growth forest my hair will run wild fronds unfurl no logs no timber nothing split The spotted owls will return to my arms. I will smell like earth and sweat. Hold the word no, like a tart berry between my teeth. Run my tongue over it. Consider when yes was poison. Lodged like an arrowhead, my body planted in beds I had no business being in, invasive thickets mistaken for Eden, creeping and covering till all the sunlight was gone. No, a breath, a gap in the canopy, sunlight streaming in. There are times to lie in the moss, alone and silent, listening to my heartbeat echo through the forest. No, 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 no. A thousand crickets singing at the end of summer.
I have tears in my eyes. I had tears in my eyes when you when you said that so many women say to you that every time they, you know, lie down next to their partner, they they want to start with no. Like, is no okay? Is it okay mm. if we don't? Is no okay? It just it makes me so emotional <laughs> because me where too. does that come from? That comes from a from years of thinking. Yes. Um, no is not okay. You don't get to decide this. It's not your choice. And yes, something bad is going to happen if you say no. Yes. A range of, of, of bad, even with your loving partner. Yes. You know, you're not enough. You'll be left, whatever it might be. Mm. It's so painful. That we have learned that our no is not okay. And your poem speaks so beautifully. The image of lying in the forest, in the moss, and the no, 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 no. As a, as a song, as a cricket song. Because we can also hear that as any time in your life where you have said no sexually, no, 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 and it wasn't heard. Yeah. Or it was heard, but it was ignored. Yeah. And then what you said to begin with, that I couldn't even say no. I had to force myself through the pain it was painful. And I just want to say so that it's been said and it's clear that sex should never, ever, ever be painful. And the moment it's painful is the moment you say, I need to stop. Mm. It should never be painful. Now, I'm not speaking to people who are choosing maybe some other kinds of sex play or wh where they're moving towards pain, but that's their choice. Right. Right. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to physical pain that you think you are supposed to ride out and ignore. Why? Why? Why do we think that? Like it just makes me want to weep for every woman and every girl, you know, and it's if I had a daughter, but I have these conversations with my sons, especially my older one, the moment you sense a no from your partner, she doesn't even have to say the words. You sense something of like a recoil or a flinch or a brace, you stop. Because also, why is it all on the woman? Like, why aren't we teaching young men to sense in 
sense into what's happening. Yeah. I think it's so hard to get support and I don't know, like genuine compassion in this because even for me with my physical like pain issues, like they're not totally resolved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've gone to doctor after doctor and there's a lot of mystery like, "Hmm, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I got, I don't know. I don't really have any, any suggestions for you. Right. Um, I can see you're inflamed, but I got, I don't know. Mm. And I don't know if that will resonate with anyone else. I don't know how common it is, but it's a very helpless place. And I think it's related to living in a very patriarchal society. Yes. Um, it can feel quite helpless because for me, I, accept some measure of pain like I just accept it now Mm. but I mean it's a physical issue I guess but um Mm. yeah anyway I don't know I don't want to go too far down a tangent but just for anyone who's struggling with something ongoing it's it's hard sometimes to know what to do and um how to honor it all I guess. Yes. I'm really glad that you are shining the light on the the real physical issues that develop gynecologically, pelvic floor issues. Um, it's very common. And so, and how helpless and frustrating it is to go into the medical world and for them to just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, you know, we don't, I don't know what to tell you. We don't have an answer. Um, your body is communicating something, right? It's communicating something, some imbalance or some need or some, who knows? We don't know. It's complex. And so it is complicated and confusing to know how to proceed in a way that is honoring your body that isn't just one way because honoring your body is also well honoring your own sexuality and your own sexual needs. And, you know, can there be pain and also pleasure? Like it's, it's not one way. Um, I think when I talk about physical pain, I'm referring more to a certain position or an angle or more like a momentary, right? Yes. Um, a chronic condition, very, very challenging and not uncommon. Mm. And like you said, and like I often say, there are many ways to be sexual. There are many ways to explore each other's bodies. And we hold intercourse and orgasms as the end-all, be-all, pinnacle Everything that defines sex. 
it's one part. Yeah. And I'll just say like there, yeah, there are things that have definitely helped me. I'm not in the same place I was when I first started having issues. And a lot of it has to do with like communication and knowing and, and accessing my no and my yes. Um, And that takes courage. Like it actually takes courage Mm -hmm. to say like, can we do something differently? Yes. Humans in general just want to know oftentimes that we are doing the same thing as the person in the house next to us, like in general, (laughs) you know? Right. Yes. What's your salary and what's, you know, what Mm -hmm. do you eat for dinner? And I, I don't know. Maybe not Enneagram fours, but you know, like <laughs> <laughs> we strive to be special. There's a part of, of of a lot of us that is just like, I just want to know that I'm normal and that I'm doing this right. Yes. And when it comes to sex, if like all we have is like TV shows and movies and like what did I learn? Pick up about sex from Cosmo magazine and mm-hmm. teen soap operas on the WB and mm-hmm what did my partner learn from pornography? What did I learn from the 15-year-old boys on the bus? I mean, if that's how we're getting information. Yes. It's so vulnerable and courageous to like to just say, like, can we figure out what works for us? Can I figure out what works for me? Can we figure out what works for the two of us? Not mm-hmm. like everyone out there. Yes. And can that be okay? Like it's yes. all just so tender and vulnerable. <sighs> oh so tender and vulnerable. It takes so much courage to access our voice and how hard it is to speak those words. Can we try something different? This isn't really working for me. Or can we slow this down? Or can we pause? Or I don't like that when you touch me there. Can we try it a different way? Or just I don't want to do this right now. Yeah. I want to be connected to you, but I don't want to do this right now. My body is not responding for whatever millions of reasons. Right. Right? I didn't sleep last night. I have someone breastfeeding 24-7. My hormones, I'm not feeling well, whatever it is. How courageous and hard. But again, like if we just step back for a moment, why should that be so hard? <laughs> I know, I know. Like, you know, it's so hard to access our voice, maybe in a lot of different areas when you're raised to be a good girl, but especially, especially around our sexuality. And just to bring it back to the very beginning in the blog post, and yet with no voice, there's no safety. And with no safety, there's really no true arousal and desire. Yes. Yes. Right. It's one channel. I was telling you that I I read the chapter from Women Who Run With the Wolves tonight, the chapter about sacred sexuality. Mm. And I was so struck. It wasn't what I expected. Hmm. It's a pretty short chapter where she talks about, 
I think I think the title is like Dirty Goddesses. And it's actually a chapter all about like women making each other laugh with sexual jokes and stories and like almost caricature mm. like movements. And it's it's the chapter has so much about laughter and women like just <laughs> acknowledging that we have bodies and that sometimes those bodies are funny and mm-hmm. being allowed to like just embody this like playful mischievous kind of energy almost mm. with each other mm. and it just got me thinking about some of the com- the female comedians that i think are really funny who maybe have a more like raunchy style, you know, which is mm-hmm. um, some of it, just hearing women like say certain words out loud is so powerful. Again, like when it comes to our voice, like just hearing words out loud, like vagina mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever that, you know, you as a kid, you might've been taught like a different word yes, that you would use for that part of your body. And mm-hmm. it got me thinking about this story um, that it just, you know, those stories that live like rent free in your head, <laughs> as the kids say. Yes. I posted about this in the Patreon, I think after like our autumn equinox meetup, something made me think of it. Mm. But Tina Fey, comedian, writer, mm-hmm. um, wrote in her memoir, Bossy Pants, about something that happened when she was at SNL. She was like in a, I guess like a writing um, session with like everyone around the table. And Amy Poehler, who is such a funny comedian, was a new cast member and she was telling some joke. And I guess it was like a dirty joke. And Jimmy Fallon said, ew, I don't like that. It's not cute. Hmm. And Tina Fey says that Amy Poehler, she describes it as she went black in the eyes. Mm. And she said, I don't effing care if you like it. Yes. And she said there was like this energetic shift in the room of like Amy Poehler does not care if you like it. And she's not here to play your girlfriend or your wife. She's not here to do cute things. Yeah, She's going to make you laugh and she's going to be – she's going to tell dirty jokes. She is a comedian. You know, she's going to use her voice. Yes. And maybe that feels unrelated, but to me, like, that story just lives in my head. Like, I don't Mm. care if you like it. (laughs) Um, It's so good because, again, (laughs) it's like, who are we here to serve? Right. And she was clearly saying, I am not here to serve you, white man. Yes. I am not here to serve you. I don't effing care. (laughs) Yes. What you think. Yes. And I'm allowed to make a joke about sex or about bodies, like about something that's seen as gross or seen as um, taboo. I am allowed to address that and talk about it and be in relationship to it out in the open. Yes. Yes. I think it's part of the reason we can't even talk to doctors about these things, you know? Um, Yes. So much shame. I love what you're saying about that part of women who run with the wolves and women making each other laugh. And it brings to mind pre-patriarchy, the goddess-worshipping cultures, what we originally came from thousands and thousands of years ago that Rianne Eisler writes about in The Chalice and the Br- in the Blade and other people have written about um, 
who did we serve? We serve the goddess. And mm-hmm. how do we know that we serve the goddess? Because archaeological digs, discoveries, reveal the the figurines of yeah. the goddess with the big breasts and belly and all different shapes and sizes. Doesn't matter, right? But that the sexuality of the goddess was worshipped and revered. That's who we served. And somewhere inside of us, we are still longing to serve the goddess in this reclaiming of our sexuality. Now, that was very, very threatening to men, right? And and the whole takeover and the conversion into patriarchy and one male god and all of that. That women's free, uninhibited, wild, powerful sexuality, eros, not just how we show up in sex, but our eros, our dance, our aliveness, our movement, very powerful and very threatening to the men. Yeah. And so there it is in that passage that you're sharing, right, from Saturday Night Live of her saying, I don't serve you. I don't care what you think. And this deeper... Like, I just wanted to roar when you're like, roar! Like, when you said that, I was like, <laughs> like, there, there is a mama lioness inside of us. Yes. That just says, roar! I don't care. <laughs> and who's hanging out with her mama sister lions, mm-hmm. right? And the men, you know, the males get to come sometimes. They hang around. And not that that's our model. Like, I love my husband yeah. very much. I'm not interested in living in a sisterhood. I love my sister friends. It's all great. But who do I serve? Not my husband. He would never want that. He would never want that. I, I serve an energy inside of me. I serve God, goddess, nature, my own body, really. It's my own body, just like I want him to serve his own body and express his needs, you know, in a in a sensitive, clear way. And it's it's all so delicate because we all come from most of us, some history of rejection and shame and trauma, it's its all living in there. But there's some like recapturing what you're saying and, and what, and what um, women who run with the role, what, what, what she's talking about, Clarissa Pincola Estes and, and this gathering of women. It makes me think also of, you know, part of the reason why in some ways I have been more free sexually, sometimes too much in my younger years because I was serving the wrong God um, and trying to get approval and using my sexuality in that way to get approval and and how many situations I ended up in that, that were I just want to hold my teenage self. But part of the reason why I don't carry shame in certain areas is because I had that sisterhood in those early 12, 13, 14 years where 
I remember the conversations where we dared to say the word masturbation Mm. and how like liberating it was to speak that. Mm. Boys do that. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. In all kinds of bizarre ways. (laughs) Like teenage boys (laughs) do that. (laughs) But they have freedom around it. Mostly. Girls do not. Yeah. But I did because it was spoken. Mm. Right? We had our little young pride of lionesses and we would talk. You know, we'd be on a camping trip for school and we'd be laughing and giggling. And one of my friends taught us this like raunchy rhyming song. My name is Mona. I won't even, I remember the whole thing. (laughs) It's hilarious. And if you think about what might rhyme with Mona, but it's, it's hilarious. I'll tell it to you after in, in the bonus episode. <laughs> but it was that kind of thing that opens us up. Yeah. I think that's why people like, you know, someone like Lizzo. Like, I don't know if you listen to Lizzo's music or if you've seen her mm-hmm. online at all. She's a great musician and she's a black woman in a big body and Mm. she, you know, posts on Instagram all sorts of, you know, videos of herself like in her bikini, Mm. you know, dancing Mm -hmm. and she sings about sex and her body and loving her body and Mm. it's like so many people have fallen in love with her because she celebrates her body. And people try to make her feel ashamed for so many reasons, right? But she just celebrates and puts it all out there. And Mm. we're getting more and and more of that in our media and in pop culture. But it's been a long time coming and we clearly have a long way to go still. (laughs) Yes. Yes. In so many ways. But having even like for the people who don't have that in their actual Mm -hmm. circle, to be able to see more representation, to be able to hear songs of celebration and and uh, a different attitude, it's just it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's completely the positive side of social media and the internet that there is more exposure and more conversation and more images. Um, more possibility to have frank conversations or listen to other people having frank conversations about sex and bodies, sexuality. And it's one of the things I love about the Sacred Sexuality course is that it's a very, very safe place yeah. where women get to share their stories on the forum, on the calls. Um, and for some of the women, it is the first time in their lives that they have felt safe enough to unpack the messages, the stories, all of the places where we absorb the shame. Yes. And the belief that there is something 
wrong with your body and your voice should be shut down and your no doesn't matter. And so it's, it is to me very sacred territory, like not in the sense of puritanical and holy. And that's a whole different conversation that we could have had today. (laughs) Um, But that's not what I mean by sacred sexuality. I just, I mean, you know, the place that is most naturally yours. Yeah. Belongs to you, right? The sovereignty of the land of your body that belongs to you and only you. I've done a few of your courses and they're all special, but I have to say that sacred sexuality is to me particularly special. Mm, thank you. <laughs> um and powerful and it is very safe and gentle. I know that this can be bring up so much fear for people. Like if you've spent your life for decades maybe saying yes, trying to please people, pushing certain things down. It can be so scary to even have someone ask the question, well, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Especially in this realm of sex and sexuality, it's so vulnerable and it can feel so scary. But your approach is very gentle and the community is so kind. So just putting that out there. (laughs) It's a really special place to... um, to approach this Mm. really vulnerable territory. Yes. Yes. Mm. So as we're closing out, I, I just want to again invite the listener to notice what your body is like in this moment. Notice anything that may have gotten stirred up for you. Um, Take some time if you can to sit and be and notice and maybe put a hand on your heart, on your belly. Do a little writing. If you feel stirred up, if you feel inspired, if there were any aha moments, anything you want to delve into and explore further to give yourself, if you can, give yourself just a few extra minutes to stay with it. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Victoria.